Hey guys, welcome back to the Woodworking Podcast. My name is Nick. I can be found at nickferry.com. Joined with April Wilkerson of wilkerdoos.com and Jay Bates of jayscustomcreations.com. Dot com. Hey everyone. Hey everyone. So how is everybody today? It's good. Tired. Good and tired. Sounds like a messed up candy bar you get at the dollar store. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Every time we go to record these podca- podcasts, it's just like instantly sit down and start yawning. It's because you're a mover and shaker. You want to be moving and shaking. My cat's trying to eat my headphones. Go on. I don't think they're very nutritious for cats. Anyways, let's uh, uh, go ahead and thank the thankables over on Patreon. Definitely appreciate all the uh, support over there. And uh, my my Instagram notifier just dinged, so either way. So thank you guys so much over there on Patreon. Uh, I thought it was pretty funny because somebody uh, had tagged a picture when you sign up. I think it's on the sign-up screen when you sign up for our Patreon. It's got uh, our logo covers April's face, like, almost perfectly. Pretty perfectly. You can see my hair. <laughs> it's okay. I think it's funny. You should get, You can leave it. Because it's, uh, it's actually, a, I think, a good photo of the three of us. And we don't have that many photos of the three of us. And that is weird because we've gotten together so many times and that's always an afterthought. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and and you always have to have like a fourth person or a tripod with a timer or whatever. And I don't know. It's just, it's weird. Okay, let's stand and pose for this <laughs> picture. I think my thumbnail on my channel says it all. I mean, I don't I don't pose for pictures very often. And before we get too far, I want to thank the uh, contributors on the website as well. Sam Moke, Peter Dumphy, and Brent Albrecht. Brent Albrecht. Uh, thank you guys very much for your contributions. Uh, we very much appreciate it, and it really does help keep this snowball going. Yeah, it's, it's how I'm going to finance my second Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of back in, I want to say like the mid-90s. You guys remember the Pontiac Fiero? No, they had they had a, um, a a mod kit. It was a really low to the ground kind of short car. You could buy all the plastic like body parts and turn it into a. Um, I don't know if they called it like a, a whatever name, but it was a makeshift Ferrari. It's just a body kit, and you could always tell when they they looked hideous, and I always laughed at them. But I think I vaguely recall what you're talking about. I don't, but I recently started watching the Grand Tour on Amazon Prime. Where's the the three British Top Gear guys? Y'all by chance catch the first episode? No, no. Oh, okay. Well, I love Top, uh, top Gear, but uh, yeah. So they have this new show, and they uh, the very first episode right out of the box, they raced a Ferrari against a Porsche against a. Um, darn it! Look at me. I forgot the third car. It was another really high fluting car. Oh, um, I think it was a, a Rolls Rolls Gennardly. No. <laughs> Yeah, that's cute. That was well. That was my first car in high school. Rolls Gennardly. Rolls down one L. Gennardly get up the next. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, good. Anyways, gosh. woodworking. <laughs> what are you fellows up to this week? Jay, take the floor. I am. Uh, I'm making a a bench top router table. Nothing fancy whatsoever. Just something that's quick and easy and very. Um, lacking in features on purpose, I guess you could say, for a trim router. So it, it, it's going to be used with a trim router, and you can't obviously 
use it for like raised panel bits. Basically, I'm going to have a dedicated roundover slash chamfering station. And the reason I'm making this is I have two trim routers. One is always sitting there idle. And I, I typically go for my Bosch Colt every time I use it for handheld use because I have an edge guide attachment with fantastic dust collection. So I'm using my DeWalt trim router. I don't know the model name off the top of my head, but it's got a really nice um, twisting height adjustment, which I think will be handy for a router lift. And I'm making it so that it'll fit uh, nested below my drill press table. So it'll take up space that was already wasted anyway. When And that thing always parks right next to my shop vac cyclone cart. So dust collection will always be within an arm's reach. You just click it into place and have a dedicated roundover slash chamfer station. Something that's quick and easy to do and uh, not by any means a full-fledged like router table setup. That's interesting. Well, it's interesting you said nothing for like panel bits because a buddy of mine um, is building a cottage. He's hoping that like come spring or summer to start it. And he was asking if I could build a really basic um, router table, but just to hold like a panel raising bit so he could make baseboard out of locally sourced wood by his cottage. And I'm like, ugh. I said, you can't, you can't use a trim router for that. Not one of them big gnarly bits, but... Yeah, for something like that, it would almost be worth buying an uh, entry-level or maybe a little bit higher shaper. Well, he was he, he, the reason he was wondering, like, could it be like a little knockdown plywood thing? Because I guess his plan, and, and, and I'm trying to talk him into me getting to film some of this, but I guess his plan is to, this cottage is fairly remotely located, but he doesn't want to bring up a bunch of tools and equipment to build the cottage and then have to haul it back or sell it or do whatever. So he's hoping that most of it is built out of plywood so that at the end of it, it's just take the plywood apart and does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, but he was doing, he was going to try and run like baseboard and casing and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. I said, you, you do, you'd really want a full fledged router for that rather than, I mean, cause that, I don't even know, I'm not even aware of a single raised panel bit. That's a quarter inch shank bit because oh, no. you need the stability. So. That's a good example of, of um, the best alternative, or the best solution may not be the most appropriate solution. You betcha. So on your router table that you're building, Jay, uh, it's going to be freestanding? It's going to be a, it's gonna, let's see, I'm, I'm looking at them, it's, it's half assembled. Basically a, a left and a right side with a top, and then a back support uh, that may not necessarily be in the back. I may shift it inside some... Um, and that's pretty much it. And then like a quick slap together fence. And then that is going to be freestanding straddling the uh, base on my drill press, which is sitting on a nightstand that I found in the trash and put casters on several years ago. So it's going to be, um, if it wants to wiggle around and move, I will screw it down to the nightstand with, you know, three or four screws, something like that. Uh, but if it doesn't want to move, then I'm just going to use it in place. I mean, we're talking a trim router, a small like 12 by 12 cube, basically. It's about the size of it. Um, just just something to walk up, flip the switch, use, shut it off, done, you know? Mm-hmm. Nothing crazy feature rich or anything like that. Mm-hmm. The, the trim router is one of the very first tools that I purchased outside of 
the drill and the circular saw. And like whenever I got out of those basic tools and needed something else, it was a trim router. And I got by with the trim router until, well, until I got my Triton routers. So for probably about a year and a half or so, I was able to get a lot done with just those, with just the, the trim router. And I had the little Makita one and it still just works as it should. Yeah. You know, if you're not removing a ton of material, then trim routers will do the job just fine, especially if you're just putting on a, a simple little edge detail. And, mm-hmm. and these or days... Or even doing a little flush... A, a, like I did a lot of like flush trim bits to where like like with the port swing, I would just rough it in with a jigsaw and then just use a flush trim bit. Right, absolutely. Um, also, uh, these days, the, the bases have come a long way too. So, I mean, these... Uh, the one that I'm thinking of right off the top of my head, the DeWalt router that I have, trim router... There's also a plunge base for it. So, I mean, if you're still using a quarter-inch shank, like, spiral bit, I mean, there you, you can make mortises with a trim router. You don't necessarily need to have a much larger router. Now, obviously, you know, apples to apples comparison, there's greater benefits of having a larger router, but it's not necessary for everything. So, yeah, you can you can get, get by uh, for a vast majority of situations with a trim router. Yeah. And I, I always liked it, especially before I really had a good shop set up with a, I didn't have a lot of clamps starting off and I didn't have a lot of work surfaces and stuff like that. And so, uh, being able to hold the router in one hand and the piece in the other was really beneficial Yeah. instead of having a router that required two hands. What are you working on, Nick? Um, I got a coffee table that I'm currently working on. Is that the Uh, gift for the friend that you need to finish before Christmas? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's going to happen before Christmas anymore. I mean, I'm I'm trying, <laughs> but uh, Christmas is what Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, and what is um, today? Today's what Tuesday the, or Wednesday? T- the twentieth. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I, I we got we got together for uh, one one of the sides of my family for Christmas a little bit early just to make it a little bit more convenient for everybody. And uh, she said she stumbled across my channel and wasn't even aware I was doing it. And said, hey, do you think you could make a coffee table? And I said, well, shoot me over a picture of kind of what you're looking for. And we, we had a little bit of a conversation back and forth. She, she was like, I want walnut, but just a little bit lighter. And I'm, I was thinking, well, maybe incorporate the sap wood. But, but then when she told me her budget, I was like, well, I said, <laughs> we're probably going to have to use like two by fours and two by sixes. <laughs> but the cool thing is there's a, a newer... I don't even know what you guys call them, like a like a warehouse liquidation place in town. And I went in just to see what they had, and all they had was like cheap crap press board furniture and mattresses. But when I was in there, I saw a corner bracket detail that I wanted to do on an upcoming project. Well, when she sent me the coffee table she was looking at, it was almost an identical bracket. So I said, I'll try and get it done before Christmas because it's something that I want to, you know, I want to build. But uh, so I'm working on the metal brackets now and uh, cold bluing those, um, polished the carriage bolt heads and everything. It'll be functional hardware versus the one I saw in this liquidation place was literally a double-sided taped chunk of molded plastic to look (laughs) like a metal bracket. I mean, because it was on, you know, like melamine particle board with, you know. So at least this way it'll be – and I'm hoping – I made a sample board of different dyes uh, so that it doesn't, you know, to give it a little bit more color. But I'm hoping she likes it because she's like, well, I don't want some cheap crap pine. And I'm like, I'm like, well, I'm not going to, like, avoid all the knots. The knots will be there. But 
it's been a while since I've made any furniture out of two by fours. Oh, okay. So that was my question. So what did you settle on? Was so you are using two by fours? Yeah. May the yeah. force be with you. Oh, it'll be fine. It was a very um, light budget. Was the thing she she was like I don't know two three hundred bucks, and I'm like, yeah, you're not going to get maple for that. Um, I mean, you might just get the materials. I don't know. So. I'm sure she'll like it. She showed me like pictures of her dining room table and end tables and stuff. And uh, they they seemed kind of mission style. So at least it'll tie together. She was kind of hoping for like an industrial look. Very stout, beefy, but not like old and beat up. So like if you bought something for industrial, but it's new. Yeah. I like mission style furniture. It's probably one of my favorite. Probably is my favorite style of furniture. Yeah, and I've done a lot of mission over the years, or arts and crafts as well, but that's always why I had a hollow chisel mortiser, because you know people would ask me, wow, that's a pretty you know unique tool that only does mortises. Well, but you just get, all you got to do is a couple arts and crafts style or mission beds, and you know after however many 80 mortises, <laughs> it comes in handy. Yeah, absolutely. So April, you are killing it again with an outdoor project. Thanks. I'm killing myself is what you mean. <laughs> no, this one, this one is a beating, but yeah, big project coming, coming to the very uh, last stages. I have like maybe, I don't know, 10 to 15 pavers to, to cut just like the very last, uh, front and back ones to complete it and then throw on the edging, put on the sand on top and then compact it. And then done. <laughs> Are you going to use... Are you going to use like polymeric sand for in between the bricks? It's a concrete sand. I don't know what polymeric is. It's just got a polymer in it that when you wet it, it solidifies between the. Oh, the this joints. is um. It might have it in it. They they did say that it has something else in it, but it's a concrete sand where the particles are not rounded over like play or beach sand. They're not, uh, they're jagged where whenever you compact it, they're going to interlock with one another and not want to move around. It's the same. It's the same sand that I put on the on the sub base. I did, um, let's see, three and a half inches of crushed granite uh, gravel mixed in with some some sand. And then uh, on top of that, I did two inches of, of that concrete sand. Nice. So, cool. yeah, it's it's been a, it, you know, I, I, I'm the worst, I think, at underestimating projects these days, especially these big ones that are construction-based that I just have no... Um, you know, prior experience with because the staircase, I was like, surely I'm never going to have to underestimate a project like this again. But this, this pathway, what I did not take into consideration is like how much dirt it was going to, it was going to generate. And what do you do with that dirt? And right. I was just thinking, we'll barrel it out and spread it around the yard in the low spots. No, <laughs> like I, I was done filling in the low spots around the yard after like four wheelbarrow wheel loads. So yeah, that's just, I mean, even down to getting the pavers, it's such a large area. It's 380 square feet. So even down to getting the pavers, I think um, had to make either five or six trips to the store. Uh, just because they're so heavy, you, you like the, the truck would sink all the way down to where the shocks were like hitting the bump stops on the, on the back. So yeah, I mean, it's those sort of things that I didn't take into consideration because I was like, oh, you go get the pavers and come back. I didn't, I didn't multiply that out by six times, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. 
but it's good. I mean, it looks outstanding and it's definitely going to be functional. And I'm really, really happy with the way that turned out. Did you pick any particular pattern, like a herringbone or anything like that? Or? I don't know what the pattern's called. Um, I pretty much went to the store and I found a light color and then a darker color stone. And because um, what I wanted is I wanted to keep two distinct walkways, one going to my shop and one going to the pool area. And I wanted those to, whenever you look at it, just not just be one big blob of 300 and. 80 square feet of, of pavers of all the same. So yeah, I wanted those two pathways to have their own distinct look. And so I went to the store and just made, um, I like grabbed the little things and made a pattern that I liked. And then I thought, okay, I'm just going to repeat that. And so I don't know what, if, if there's even a name to the pattern, I believe it's just random. Well, it looks good. I saw your Instagram pictures. It looks good. And also like a lot of work. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My next project's not going to be this much work. Oh, I say that now. <laughs> it's going to be a pergola. So it might be a lot of work. I have no idea. <laughs> it probably will. You said the same thing after the, after the stairs. Yeah. And the lean to. And, and <laughs> everything else. Yeah. And the fence. But that's cool though. I mean, that's, that's the only way you get experience is building this stuff. And yeah. you know, if, if you ever choose to do another, like, whether it's staircase or, or pavers in the future, you'd be like, oh, I remember, you know, I can figure in. Uh, if we're just using a random truck, it's going to take more than just one. Yeah, that's experiences, you know, that's, you know, invaluable. In oh, I completely opinion. agree. And I'm learning a lot, especially on these larger projects. But um, yeah, like I wasn't able to put out a video this past Sunday just because the weather has been giving me trouble. And um, yep, just just taking longer than, than normal. But yeah. I'm really happy with it. Because I had uh, Phil uh, over on my Patreon page was asking about centering mortises to when he was doing face frames. He's, he said he was always having an issue with having the faces be 100% flush and having to sand more than usual. And he goes, any trick to that? And I said, well, it depends on how you're doing it, whether you're doing the mortises by hand or hollow chisel mortise or, or router or whatever. But I said, just in scrap pieces, do like 50 or more. And then when you're completely sick of doing mortises, do a bunch more. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, it's just with a hollow chisel mortise, or at least mine, it's got a little rack and pinion to the fence. But when you're talking, you want it like a 32nd or 64th within center. It's just, just you know, experience of, you know, okay, that's center. I don't know. Sometimes in three-quarter stock, I can look and see if a quarter-inch mortise is centered almost better by eye than sometimes by measure. Yeah, you were, whenever you were teaching me about them, it was crazy how spot on you were just doing things by eye. And, you know, and with tenons, most of the time, the way you make tenons, they're self-centering because, you know, you flip it and it's just an equidistant from the blade. And But the mortises, yeah, that can be a little bit tricky. But, yeah, that, anything like that with woodworking, metalworking, anything, it, the more you do it, the better you get. It's It's no different than, you know. I was going to try and keep this PG. I, 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 <laughs> I was remembering how I say it to people when I don't have to be PG, but it's like anything repetitive. You get muscle memory for things. You get just mm. that experience. And yeah, everything. No, there's no football player that just wakes up as an amazing football player. It's practice, practice, practice. Same with an instrument. As a matter of fact, me and Nick were talking before we started recording here. I was showing him the, the very first woodworking project that I made. Um, Minus like shop class or something like that, where I just had to do something for a grade. That was the first project where I set out and said, I'm going to make something. And it was a, <laughs> it's half inch birch plywood 
box. It was a little jewelry box I made for my wife in like 2009. But yeah, it's a good example of, of yeah, you do, you do something for a little while and what you should res- end up with is a, a better result every time that you make something. So these uh, boxes that I recently made for Christmas gifts, they turned out pretty darn nice. Uh, and, and I'm proud of those. They're beautiful. Not necessarily the same case for the box that I made in 2009. It's absolute trash. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool that you still hang- hung on to it, though. That's the same with uh, whether it's videos or projects. The videos are a little bit more archival to where you can always go back and look. But I know a lot of people say, oh, man, I cannot stand Dan to watch my first you know few videos or look at my first few projects well that's good people think that's such a bad thing that's showing the progress like if, if you're if you're still churning out the same garbage that was like five ten years ago well then you haven't progressed you haven't gotten any better so it's 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 a good reminder to say you know i, I don't like what my earlier projects look like yeah i made this this box i made in 2009 was a a jewelry box it's just a box uh, I made for my wife and you know she's kept it but it's also been in the back of our closet up top of a shelf and buried so (laughs) (laughs) does she like it more than the abstract clock you made when you were over here uh you know what she probably likes it more than the clock she's just not a fan of that clock And that clock resides on top of the bookcase in the living room, or actually in the dining room, where I can see it every single day. (laughs) I really dug the clock. I thought it was cool. I did too. Yeah, I like it. You know, again, with skill sets and challenging yourself, you know, to do something different than what you are accustomed to. Yep. Cool, cool. You you guys want to hop into some questions? Let's do it. Um, let's, I guess we can go down the list. I'll, I guess I can start, uh, Bill Macbeth. There's a slight slope to my garage. I can use leveling feet for carts and benches. However, I have a powermatic saw with a 50 inch table and a mobile base. I like having the mobile base so that I can move the saw around easily, but I'm looking for advice on how to level my saw. Um, my suggestion is to not worry about it. I'm recording this in the, in my shop and I'm, I'm looking at my saw right now and if you're looking from the left side of the blade to the right, uh, you'll notice on my saw that the outfeed side is probably a good half inch higher than the infeed side. And it's what, what you want is not so much a level surface for most everything, but a flat surface. That makes more of a difference than a level surface. Uh, but for me, uh, as I'm using the table saw, if it's so crooked that it's going to cause issues with you feeding stuff through i don't see that as being a situation regardless of how how much of a slope you have um unless it's like a a crazy crazy slope but anyway uh, the the main thing with like a table saw is that the outfeed is lower by just a little bit than the saw surface my assembly table it's uh, it rocks back and forth depending on where it's sat in the garage, and it's leaning this way sometimes, leaning this way sometimes. Uh, I don't really care as long as it's flat. I don't build anything to be uh, vertical or horizontal. It's just flat, square, and um, ninety degrees. Yeah, my my saw is my floor is not level or even by any means, and I have mine set with the levelers and everything. So that in the same spot, if I if my, if I move my saw and I put it back in the same spot, it won't rock. It'll be nice and flat. I don't even know if I've ever checked it for actual level, 
but like Jay was saying, it's fl- it doesn't rock. It's it's nice and sturdy. Um, a, a theater trick you could always try spike tape if you wanted to try and get a piece of equipment back in the same spot each and every time. A little piece of tape on the floor, but it's it's I guess the difference when you're, you know, the difference between like straight and parallel and all that. Uh, a lot of times when you're you're truing up like say a live edge board and um, on a sled or whatever, and people are like you know this is straight, and people no that's not that's not parallel to the other side. You got to talk about straight like the shortest distance between two points versus you know whether it's ninety to something else. I totally went off on a thing there, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think my shot floor is that level. Although you know it's it's not completely out of level either. But I have leveling feet on both my saw and my outfeed table. But yeah, if I if I move it around to where sometimes I want to uh, tuck my saw into the wall if I'm not using it just to free up some floor space, um, and I kicked out the outfeed table. It wants to, it doesn't want to sit on both both of the legs. So I can either use the self adjusting feet or just shim it up with a piece of wood. No, but it doesn't bother me since, like what you said, if I'm using the saw, then I have my feet set to where it, it it's not going to rock back and forth, and it works fine. And not only, and I should specify too, like my my shop floor, it's a it's a garage. It's meant to be a garage, and in the northern climates where we get snow and stuff like that, the, the threshold is going to be a little bit higher where the garage door seals, but it's supposed to slope essentially away from the the house and then towards the garage door. But I don't know if it was like some drunken apprentice that did the flat work, but mine mine is not anywhere near. Um, a single plane or even a sloped plane. It's like uneven. There's high and low spots all over. Cause when we used to park a car in there, it, it, you could see visually where all the puddles were. And- yeah. I would say like for my criteria, if I'm building something that's attached, uh, that's going to be stationary, like my miter saw station, it's stationary. It's attached to the wall. It's not moving. That case, I did make sure that it was flat, um, level, the working surface, and I did that with independent um, leveling legs, leveling feet on all of the cabinets. But yeah, everything else in the shop, uh, the table saw, the assembly table, uh, my workbench, I didn't necessarily make sure that they're level at all. I just make sure that they're stable. There's a reason that carpenter's pencils are flat, because even home construction, it's nothing's level. All right, moving on to the next one. Richard Spencer asks, what is your next tool you want to get into your shop? And uh, what, it, what shop upgrade or improvement have you made that as soon as you did it, you wished you had done it much sooner? And much is in all caps. Mine would be, the, for much sooner, a, a good table saw. But that was budget prohibitive. So there was nothing I could do about that. I knew I wanted a certain saw. I knew I wanted, you know, because that's going to be the backbone of my shop. It's not the backbone of everybody's shop. But um, as far as upgrades I want to do, I'm I'm gonna say a, a standalone, a beefy drill press, something to where the table doesn't flex, something to where there's a decent amount of horsepower, something that's maybe a beltless variable speed would be nice. Like that big old yeah. monster powermatic you see sometimes. That thing is huge. Every time I go into like a woodcraft or a rockler, which isn't often, but I'm always amazed at how large their powermatic's massive woodworking drill press is. Well, I mean not not necessarily woodworking, but. You know what I'm talking about? They're massive drill press. It's yeah. massive. Because when I worked in Metal Fab, we had the, the shop had huge drill presses, and I noticed. And I wouldn't. This is a funny thing. I wouldn't have noticed this had I not made YouTube videos. But I noticed in editing when I was pushing down on like a two inch Forstner bit on a project, 
the table actually flexed down. So it would, it, there's no way it could have been a perfect hole. Luckily, it didn't need to be, but so that would be an upgrade for me. It's a, a, just a really stout, sturdy drill press. Jay? Uh, me, let's see, the next tool I want to get into my shop soon. Um, what instantly comes to mind, it's not necessarily a need for in the shop, but I, I, I've got an idea for a standalone router table. And just because it's on my mind, I'll, I'll say that as far as the next tool to get into my shop. But the, let's see, the upgrade or improvement that I made to the shop uh, and wished I would have done much sooner is my miter saw station. Not necessarily having a dedicated miter saw station, but the storage solution that I incorporated into it is what I wished I would have done from the very beginning. It was like, uh, it was July all the way up until like March or April. So almost a full year that I worked in the shop without a decent storage solution. And as soon as I made it, it's like everything instantly has a home. So not only is cleaning up a lot faster, but just working in a cleaner environment is just much more enjoyable and rewarding and encouraging, I guess you could say. So yeah, something I should have done much sooner is regardless of what decision you choose, my advice would be to have some type of decent organizational solution for what you already have and then some because you're probably going to get more the more you get into woodworking. Mm-hmm. So with mine, um, I'm surprised you didn't say AC, Jay. Oh, well, okay. Well, I've got a ton if you had, oh man, man, I'm still going to stick with the miter saw station. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, my, my probably like improvement would be the dust collection. As soon as I got the dust collection, cause I was in my shop for probably a good two years, I think before taking the dust collection serious and installing it. And yeah, once I did, I was like, I have no idea why I was not doing this beforehand because my entire shop would just like cloud up and I'd have to go outside and just kind of let it die down a little bit or I would just deal with it. Um, so yeah, the dust collection is probably my, my number one thing. The second one is the outfeed table because that, that comes a close second, but the dust collection, there's no, there's no getting over, kicking yourself over going for two years with no dust collection. <laughs> <laughs> Um, next purchase, I would really like to find a good, uh, disc sander. Um, I don't, I don't think I want a disc belt sander combo because I have a great belt belt sander that I can either use as a hand belt sander or flip it over and clamp it to my workbench. But I would really love a nice disc sander, but I don't want a small one. I want, I want like a giant one, like what Frank Howarth has. I was about to ask, do you want a small one or do you want a Frank Howarth one? <laughs> I want a Frank Howarth one. Um, or even I think Jimmy DeResta has a has a pretty good sized one. You know, pretty much the only size that I can see around is about a 12 inch. And I don't know. I just think something 20 to 22 inches would be a little bit more long run uh, versatile, you know? Yeah. And, that's, and at this point, I know that I'm going to be making for the rest of my life, whether it be in wood or metal or uh, anything. So I just, at this point, anything that I buy, I'm thinking I, I'm, I'm buying it for the long haul. Yeah. And, and thinking larger when it comes to a disc sander is a good idea because people, they think, okay, 12 inches, blah, blah, blah. But you're only using half of that. Yeah. You know, the, half of that's only coming down. In the, I mean, unless you're flattening like a segmented bowl and using the whole thing. But so technically you only get six inches of space to actually use. So I, I would agree that 
I use my disc sander a lot up until the bearing crap down on it. But but also a jointer would be nice to have. I know that, Jay, you spoke really highly of yours whenever you got yours. My problem is I, I, I don't have any room left to put it. So I'm going to have to wait till I build or move into a bigger shop in order to get it. Yeah, you keep mentioning all these tools, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that one. That would be, th- yeah, yeah, that one. Oh, yeah, that <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, I'll write it down. <laughs> the, the never-ending story of always a larger shop. Yeah, yep. well, and Jay, I just saw that you got that that welder. I mean, metal comes with its own set of tools, you know, even down to, like, mallets. I've been having to steal Cody's hammers and mallets made whenever I do my metalworking projects, and he gets so mad. But I'm like, well, I don't have my own yet. <laughs> That darn welder. I bought that welder like a year and a half ago, and I've used it a couple times. And then um, the the cart that I had for it, I it just, it just wasn't convenient for the layout in the shop. So uh, it just it just ended up migrating into the shed. So I've had it for quite a while. And then I had the need to weld something the other day, which wasn't really um, YouTube project specific. So I brought it out of the shop, or brought it out of the shed and made a convenient spot for it in the shop where I did not where it did not require the cart. So it's actually sitting all my welding stuff is sitting on the bottom shelf of my outfit table for the table saw and that way I can just uh, I've got like a 36 by 36 inch piece of sheet metal that I'll just set on the corner of my assembly table uh, that is closest towards the jointer and then it's just a quick and easy slap together or welding station I guess. So Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that. I I posted a picture on Instagram and got a bunch of questions of, or comments and questions saying I was getting into welding all of a sudden. But no, it's an old welder. Just brought it back. I mean, it's good. Yeah, you know, ever since I started welding and then throwing the plasma cutting, I feel like there's. I mean, it's just it's it's awesome being able to have uh, knowledge even a little bit in another medium. You know, right. that way whenever you're building something like that, you know, firewood pit. Uh, what's that darn thing called? Fire pit. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't build that out of wood. You can't build that out of anything but metal. So it's nice. Cause well, you can build a fire pit out of wood. It's just disposable. Yeah, it's a one-time <laughs> use only thing. <laughs> I saw in that video you made a template for the uh, the kind of the diamond pattern on the side. Yeah. Did you con- did you consider using that pattern to actually just guide the, the plasma torch itself? I did, but it wouldn't work unless I made two of them because um, the... I only left a half an inch in between each diamond, but the torch requires three eighths of an inch offset. And so you could cut out this diamond and use it if you made that diamond bigger. But if you made this one, there, there's not enough space in between for the, there would be no wood remaining, if that makes any sense, in between diamonds. Yeah. And if you oh, were okay. to use... you, wanted, you want them closer together. So yeah, you would, I would have either had to make two templates, which was, would be a lot of cutting so I just said, screw it. And that's why I ended up doing it freehand because my original plan was to just cut out one and then use that as my template for the others. But I changed up the plan because the metal started distorting a little bit. And so I welded it all together. And I, anyways, it was one thing after another, but I had that question a lot. Plasma cutters are so awesome. Have you ever used the uh, oxygen and acetylene torch as the same concept as a plasma cutter? Jay, have you seen me use? <laughs> I always ask people that. I'm like, it, or I always tell people, if you haven't seen me use it or do it, then that means I haven't. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Um, I, that's just the first thing that comes to mind. Um, in my high school days, uh, my uncle and grandfather had a shop that was on the property, 
and they had all kinds of old stuff. That's how I learned how to weld. And back then we didn't have like a, a metal chop saw or anything. Everything we cut straight lines or curves or whatever was with an oxygen acetylene torch. Is that like a, one of those small handheld ones? Uh, it can be. Um, but ours, we had, um, I don't know what size they were, but the, the tanks were as tall as I was, which again, isn't saying much. <laughs> I was a little slow on the uptake there. I'm like, is he meaning he was short when he was a kid? Or Oh, no, he's still short. Oh, no, he's still short. <laughs> <laughs> we would always mess with each other uh, when I worked in manufacturing with filling up, like, coffee cups with acetylene and lighting them off. And it's almost as loud as a shotgun going off. Does it blow up the cup? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That sounds dangerous. It, does it not, like, break apart in ceramic shrapnel? Oh, no, uh, like a styrofoam coffee. Oh, okay. That's not as mean <laughs> as what I was thinking. <laughs> One time no, use ceramic just... coffee mugs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my good Lord. That's too funny. Ooh, so, guys, did y'all see on Instagram? I got to play with one of those uh, front steer skids. Yeah. Mini steer skids. Now, skid steer? Yeah, thank you. Skid steer. I'm not going to even try. <laughs> <laughs> I nailed it on the voiceover on the very first time. And I'm like, yes, because I was figuring I was going to get tongue twisted up on it for the video's sake. Anyways, that thing was a blast. That's all I have to yeah. say. <laughs> I, I remember, I think, I'm trying to think of what when it was, but I was only like 19 at the time. And I rented a full like Bobcat skid steer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, they they just let you go and rent these? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm 19. Like. Why would I figured you'd need insurance and all this other thing? Nope, just um, yeah, I, I signed here. <laughs> I beat the heck out of that thing, but that's beside the point. Yeah, Bobcat would have been really cool. I've always wanted to like just knock over a whole bunch of stuff with either a backhoe or a Bobcat, but this one it's um, it's a mini compact one made specifically for fitting in between residential gates. So it was a blast. My neighbors, um, of course, think I'm already nuts. Uh, but then that morning that I rented one, I come out through the gate with the the bucket full of dirt, and about three of my neighbors are coming out getting their uh, newspaper, and they just look up, and I'm just waving. Hi. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, they they find it pretty amusing. I find it amusing that people still have a newspaper. Yeah, well, <laughs> I live in like everybody is around me is like in their seventies, close to eighties, so they love their newspapers yeah. and stay off their stay off their lawn. <laughs> my my neighbor has a a fertilizer company come and rather than like one of those uh, what do you want to call them just like broadcast spreaders you push it's a motorized thing similar to the skin steer, skid steer you were using and you stand on it and drive it around and it fertilizes I mean, and the reason I say my neighbor is because I don't fertilize my lawn it's grass and I don't really care it's a but, it's a skid steer though because I mean that's skid steer I can't say it really took a toll on my um, on my grass area no i mean it's it's the same theory to where it's motorized and he doesn't have to walk mm-hmm. and he stands on the back of it but it's a lot lighter than a skid steer okay. it doesn't need to have like the weight and the counterweight to be able to pick up like front end stuff it's just you know fertilizer inside cool but yeah i always i always see him out there come spring and one of these days maybe, maybe this year if i catch him i'll be like hey let me ride that thing for yes. a little bit and get some video there you go <laughs> <laughs> I should come up with something for my snowblower for that. <laughs> like that's ultimate laziness. Ultimate laziness, right? To where there. you just ride on the back of it? Yeah. Don't you just ride on top of it as it is? Or you no, have to push it? it? 
Well, no, it, it, neither. It, it self-propelled. It's all, but it's like I, a lawnmower, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I gotcha. Yeah, definitely. Um, the whole riding bit makes it. So do it. I'm t- I'm totally spoiled though when it comes to my snowblower because I don't mind the cold, I don't mind the snow, but when it's a chore like that that you have to do again and again, I don't want to be out there for any longer than possible. So I bought like a commercial model. The thing is super wide. It's got heated handles. I don't even have to wear gloves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those things that no joke. My wife had to do something. And I've told this story once or twice before, but I, we had just moved in in that winter and my wife said, I got to run and, you know, can you snow blow me out quick? And just, just the path of where the wheels were going to be. And I ran out there in my underwear and one of those hats. I was like the cousin Eddie from National Lampoon's Christmas. My neighbor comes out and he's just shocked looking at <laughs> him, waving, hey, what's going on? That's funny. I was only out there two minutes. You know what, though? Like if I lived in an area like what you do to where you deal with snow all the time, I would treat it just like any other tool, and I would buy it for the long haul, and I would buy the model that's going to make my life the most easiest, the, the easiest, especially considering how much snow you get and how often. Yeah, and that's and that's what my thought process with this was, too, because I remember being like 12 years old, and this neighbor guy had a, a, a local brand of snowblower, and it looked ancient, but I said, wow, and he goes, well, it, he goes, I bought this when I was like 26 he goes, I'm 65 now, and it, other than maintenance, never had to really do anything to it. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is kind of a smart investment to buy quality for something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't have anything comparable, I don't think, for the for the heat in the South. Sunscreen, good sunscreen, I guess, <laughs> and mosquito off. But you mentioned the the mini split earlier. I couldn't be happier with mine so far. In fact, it was just two days ago that it dropped below zero, and I actually had to shut it off. So up until that point, it was, for the most part, keeping up. Hanging in there. So what are you doing now, that, now that it's below zero? Just not going uh, in I, the top? No, I have the uh, ceiling-mounted Modine uh, natural gas heater. Gotcha. It's just that it's it's so loud. I mean, whether it's filming a video or not, but it's just annoyingly loud. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what I'm that's what I'm running now. So, but it. it I mean, it gets toasty in there, so I'm I'm pretty happy. Yeah, what's the same at Cremona's? He has one of those as well, I guess, that runs off natural gas. With with Cremona's, though, he had his mounted, like, for somebody a little bit shorter. And somebody that's six foot will run into the corner of that thing. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but, hey, you know, yeah, his, his stayed warm, but his ceiling, I, th- I want to say 100% of it, the roof of his shop, is heated uh, living space above. So that makes it a little bit nicer to keep it evenly heated. Mm-hmm. Mine isn't as evenly heated as I would like. Now, granted, I'm being picky, but a little, just a little bit more circulation. I normally have a little tiny fan towards the garage door because that's where just the, the cold is and move that cold and just, I don't know, air movement. My, uh, my ceiling is 10 feet and all the heat rises. So every now and then I turn on my um, air cleaner cart regardless of whether I want to use it as a air cleaner. But I, I turn it on because the exhaust air from it is on like a 45-degree upward angle. So it creates a nice nice draft up, which pushes some of the heat down. I know I've mentioned this when we talked to Dream Shops on one podcast, but radiant floor heat would be my... If I ever build a shop, just climate control is going to be an ever-present in the design. Yeah. So that I'm not adding a fan or... 
thinking about, okay, I'll heat it this way, or then I got to move the air this way, or... Because, mm-hmm. I mean, all these cast iron tools that we deal with, they just, they're big heat sinks. They're they're cold, and I'm, I don't know. And and I, I like to be pampered. I like nice, even heat in my shop. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move into the next question. Uh, Bryce Julian, hello guys, I'm a basic woodworker and I've been trying to make some small boxes. I use my miter saw to cut 45 degree angles, but in the end they never line up properly. How would you guys fix this? Also, how would you clamp it? Thank you. Jay has a good one. Well, my thought right off the top of my head is if you're using the miter saw to cut 45 degree angles for boxes, then you're making a mitered corner joint and Typically, you, your pieces against the miter saw fence would be taller than they are front to back when they're on the fence. So if they're not lining up properly, then odds are my just initial thought is that the pieces are leaning either towards the fence on the top or away from the fence on the top, causing the angles to just not line up properly. So uh, my suggestion would be to look into making an auxiliary fence for the miter saw, something that has, uh, something that it can be incorporated into the saw fence, but will allow more vertical reference surface area. Um, search John Peter's Art and Home on YouTube for a, it's either sacrificial miter saw fence or auxiliary miter saw fence. Um, but basically if you can get a taller fence that is secure and won't move around, um, to really dial that into 90 degrees to the to the bed of the miter saw, then that should help resolve some flexibility issues with the boxes not being exactly or the box sides not being exactly uh, 90 degrees to the the uh, bed of the miter saw. But other than that, um, there's many different tools you can use to cut 45s. I'm just guessing that you're using the miter saw because that might be your only option. Uh, a shooting board with a what is what is that? 45-degree ramp called on a shooting board. There's a sp- specific term for it, isn't there? I don't know. I've uh, never I've never seen a shooting board other than your videos, but that's the method I was thinking of because you just make it look so easy. Uh, it's donkey's ear, I think, is what it's called, right? A 45-degree ramp for a shooting board would, would really dial in the angle. You just have to be careful to make sure that the length is all the same. And then as far as his clamping question, I always like the strap clamps or if they're small enough boxes. I mean, masking tape does a a pretty good job too. Yeah, painter's tape. I think um, the auxiliary fence, Jay, that's a really good tip. But also whenever I was getting into woodworking, um, until I really paid attention to it, the very first time that I was trying to do miters, it didn't occur to me that the that the the length of both pieces needed to be exactly the same. So like I would go and like trim up one, try and make it fit to the two sides. And then of course now the top wouldn't be perfectly fit. So yeah, just pay attention to what Jay said about uh, the length is, is, is of course really important. And then also um, if you have a table saw, I found that for my setup in my shop, a table saw with the blade tilted 45 degrees and then a miter gauge with a sacrificial fence on it, a simple setup. Um, I found that to be the most accurate thing that I could come up with in my shop. So if you do have a, a table saw, I would recommend using it to cut the miters uh, rather than a miter saw. 
Yeah, I second the artificial or artificial the <laughs> sacrificial fence on the miter gauge because then whatever you're off cut, whether it's tiny or you can push it past the blade, you don't have to shut down the saw to try and remove a piece, and that way you can push it past the blade, then move your 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 good piece, your keep piece away from it, slide the miter gauge back through, and then kind of keep going going on with the process. But those good old artificial fences. Yeah, artificial. I use I use a artificial a sacrificial fence on my on my table saw so much on that miter gauge and in fact i i now just keep it with two screws in it to where i could pop it in the uh to where the two, the two screws you could just slide it in over the top instead of having to re-screw them all the time so i just keep that on standby so that i could just very quickly pop it on yeah you know what i've been doing like i've been cutting a lot of doing a lot of cross cutting at the table saw and my miter saw uh, miter saw the I'm getting tongue-tied now. No, the, the sleds that I had, the cross-cut sleds that I have for the table saw, I guess I made them when it was really humid because none of them fit anymore. So what I've been doing for cross-cuts at the table saw is to not use a sled at all, is use the miter gauge that came with the saw plus the miter gauge that came with my bandsaw, one in each runner, and then making the sacrificial fence cross both of them. And that just makes it a little bit more rigid. So if you've got two tools with miter gauges buddy them up on the on the table saw and quick and easy table saw salute that's good to know because i have the same bandsaw and table saw as you and i've i don't think i've ever used the bandsaw miter gauge so i'll just throw it over by the table saw and use it yeah i've never used my miter gauge with uh for the bandsaw with the bandsaw yeah all right, well, that's it for this episode. We want to remind you that there's a couple different ways you can stay up to date with the podcast. You can go to the woodworkingpodcast.com and subscribe via one of the buttons up at the top. And if you're on iTunes, be sure to leave us an iTunes review. We very much appreciate that. And uh, thank you for all of the feedback we have received uh, over there. And if you'd like to contribute to the show, you can go to the woodworkingpodcast.com and there's a contribute button, or you can go to patreon.com slash the woodworking podcast. So that's it. Thanks for listening. You guys take care and we'll catch you next time. Bye everyone. Happy holidays. Oh yeah. Happy holidays. And a Merry Christmas.